Chapter thirty one of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. In the yard, Conal told the schoolmaster of McNab's arrival. Settles us, Farrell said shortly. That's what he came to do, and we can't afford to let him think there's anything on. He's given his suspicions to M'Loughlin, most likely, and the delay tonight'll give them time to get the word out about us along the road. So all we can do is lie low, play civil to McNab, let him think he's on the wrong track. Then, when this blows over, in a couple of months, perhaps. Connell swore bitterly. I could have wrung his neck when I saw him. It was all I could do to keep my hands off him, he said. Don't be giving the game away, Connell, the schoolmaster cautioned. Mind, we're not taking chances. It'll be a couple of hours to moonrise after dark, Connell said restively, glancing at the waning sky. If you could keep him busy, playing cards and drinking, let him think we weren't upset at seeing him, and he seems to be settling down and looking foolish, finding we're all about. I might walk out after a bit. I could get the beasts, with Davy and that blithering half-breed. Sally's easily worth a couple of men with cattle. Do you think I'm likely to be able to keep McNab so busy he wouldn't notice you were walking out? The schoolmaster asked impatiently. You and Davy had better come in and hang round loose presently. He went towards the house. His greeting of McNab was as lukewarm, negligent and friendly as it always was. Deirdre saw no flicking of anxiety in his face. McNab's eyes were quick and keen on it for the first few minutes, but finding no trace of repressed excitement, not a spark of the impatience he expected, but only a whimsical smile to convey that the schoolmaster knew why he had come and was amused at the reason. He dropped into the chair he had taken and sought to cover the unexpectedness of his visit by unusual affability. He was sitting in Steve's chair by the fire when Farrell came into the room that was kitchen, dining-room, sitting-room and living-room in general at Steve's. Deirdre slipped out with a jug for water as the schoolmaster came in. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw her talking to Connell in the yard. When she returned, her laughter and gaiety surprised him. She set a jug of grog between Steve and McNab on the table near McNab's elbow. The schoolmaster swore beneath his breath when he saw McNab's eyes on her. He trembled with rage when he heard Deirdre talking to McNab, but her eyes met his reassuringly. He caught their message, calm and purposeful. He knew that she was playing the woman to McNab, and why. The knowledge angered and humiliated him. Davy and Connell came into the long, barely-lighted room. They threw themselves on a bench near the door. Connell, taking a pipe from his belt, smoked morosely. Davy did not look at McNab, and McNab took no notice of him, enjoying his position of importance by the fireside, and chuckling over the gay chatter Deirdre threw to him. "'We eat our heads off up here, Mr McNab,' she said. "'And sleep! Davy and Connell there, to see them yawning over their supper tonight, you'd think they'd never seen a bed for weeks.' They've been saying they're going to turn in early because they've to go off mustering first thing in the morning, and Father and Steve would have sat here dozing by the fire for a while and then gone to bed too. I was thinking I would have to take out my sewing and talk to the cat till it was a decent hour to be saying my prayers. But now perhaps you'll have a game of cards with me, though I don't suppose Connell and Davy will go to bed early now, seeing we've got company. Davy sat bolt upright against the wall. It froze the blood in his veins to hear her on such terms of easy familiarity with McNab. Connell shifted uneasily. "'But we can get along without them, can't we?' 
Deirdre asked blithely. There's no need for them to be sitting up trying to be polite, is there? None at all. McNab chuckled. He thought he was getting on very well with Deirdre, and that she was playing him off against Connell and Davy in a spirit of pique. Right. Good night. McNab, see you in the morning, Connell said angrily. He swung out of the room. Davy followed him. And now for the business that brought you, McNab. Mighty kind of you to have come after me with it. The schoolmaster sat down before Thad McNab, facing him squarely. His one eye played on McNab's shifty face. There was just the faintest ironical emphasis in his voice. McNab stirred uneasily. Fact is, he began, his eyes shifted under the schoolmaster's gaze. A fact is, we're wanting a school in the Wirree, he plunged desperately. Before you go away, I thought, I thought, not knowing exactly what your plans were, I'd have a talk to you about it. The place is getting a bad name with the children growing up, not able to make more than a mark for their names. In the hills, of course, you taught the first generation, as you might say, so the older ones can teach the others coming on. But down here it's different. We've never had any school or school teachers. The people can't pay enough, just a few of them, to make it worth your while. But if we build a school, got them all together, it might be a good thing. I'd maybe put up the money for the school, maybe. He fidgeted in his seat. He did not want to commit himself too far, and yet he was irritably conscious of the weakness of his explanation unless he did. He had a suspicion that Dan Farrell was laughing at him up his sleeve, too. An ill-humour was rising in him. There was an ominous silence, a moment of suspicion and suspense. A word from either might have been a spark to the long-hidden train of enmity between them. Deirdre broke the silence. She threw down a pack of cards and pulled her chair up to the table. "'All that'll keep till tomorrow, Mr. McNab, won't it?' she asked. "'Have a game of euchre with Steve and me now. Let's play cutthroat. It's more exciting. Father can think over what you've said and tell you in the morning.' "'Yes, yes, you think it over, Farrell,' McNab said eagerly. He was glad enough to shelve the discussion of this urgent matter which had brought him from the weary to talk to the schoolmaster, seeing that it was not at all urgent and did not look like it. Deirdre pushed the bottle of rum between him and Steve. She sat opposite to them, the broad yellow glare of the dip on her face. The liquor was already beginning to warm McNab's brain. His head was steady enough on his shoulders, but there was a glow within him. He watched the face of the girl before him as in a dream. Farrell saw the arabesques of red and blue the cards made under the light as she threw them on the table. He heard her gleeful and triumphant exclamations. He realised what she was doing for him, was sore and angry, but there was nothing to do but to play up to her. He sat at the far end of the table just out of the light. After a while his head drooped. Deirdre's laughter flashed. Look at father, she cried. He's dead with sleep. Farrell started and stared at her sleepily. It's no good your blinking like an owl and pretending you weren't taking forty winks. You'd better go to bed and have done with it, she said. He struggled to his feet. I'm dog-weary, he muttered. Think I will. Good night, he added after a moment. And be sure you see the fires are out before you turn in, Deirdre. You're not to be staying up late either. I won't have her getting too fond of the cards, Steve. He stumbled across the room to the far end where a screen of brushwood and bagging against the back of the shanty made another small room. Deirdre laughed again. I'm winning all the time, she said gaily, so they won't want to play long. 
the cards went backwards and forwards across the table to the tune of her exclamations and the chime of her laughter the muttered oaths and exclamations of steve and mcnab steve was soggy with drink but mcnab was not as drunk as he seemed his eyes caught hers with a curious expression when the schoolmaster had gone from the room and who's the man connell's going to kill for coming between you deirdre he asked how do i know she said a little nervously perhaps it's the man sent you the gold chain mcnab murmured his eyes glimmered at her out of the darkness they tell me connell went round like a madman looking for pat glynn to tell him who it was threatening to break the last bone in pat's body if he wouldn't speak yes i think it was him deirdre said meeting his eyes connell said if he ever found him he'd connell's a hothead doesn't mean half he says mcnab muttered but he means that i'm sure deirdre said and connell's so strong look at his hands he could put them round a man's throat and wring the life out of it just as easily as you wring a bird's neck mr mcnab and he's a dead shot too connell they say eh then it's somebody's neck he'll be wringin or somebody he'll be shootin for sure mcnab said for it's not him you'll be marryin it's not him your heart's set on it's the other the quivering of her face a dilating of the pupils of her eyes that were wells of darkness told him that he had scored he leant forward following up his advantage eagerly and it's not connell for all his blustering i'm afraid of my pretty he whispered his eyes were narrowed the smile in them leaping across his face it's not connell for all his blustering though i dare say you think he'll kill me for love of you and you'd break his heart for love of somebody else by way of reward but it's me all the same that'll get you deirdre pushed back her chair then she remembered the part she had been playing all the evening she steadied herself putting her hands on the edge of the table and looked down into mcnab's eyes laughing why she cried you're as drunk as drunk mr mcnab and so is steve you'd better see each other to bed i'm going myself she went across to the corner room next to the schoolmaster's where she slept when she had heard steve shambling before mcnab to the room off the bar where occasional visitors were put she went back to the kitchen raked over the embers of the fire and put out a flare that was burning low in its tin of rancid fat and belching forth streams of heavy black smoke she opened the door of the schoolmaster's room the bunk against the wall on which she slept was empty the window open she entered closed the door and sat down by the open window the moonlight was waning the silver light in which the forest had been bathed an hour before was dimmer the shadows the house and sheds cast black against it where the light struck dead trees they stood out wraith-like from the dark wave of the forest listening intently she heard the distant cracking of whips the long lowing belched and terrified cries of cattle End of chapter thirty one